uh, I think we're going to try to cover the first 14 verses. <clears throat> this is all concerning the building of the tabernacle. And uh, we're just going to be talking more or less about the curtains of this tabernacle tonight. But as we stated on other occasions, that every piece of this tabernacle it is all a reminder of who Jesus is. Even the word tabernacle. Uh, we find in John chapter 1 where the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelled among us. God wanted to come down and dwell with his people. And that's something that is unusual. But let's, let's read the first 14 verses and then we'll, we'll talk about them. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits and the breadth of one curtain four cubits and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the selvage and the coupling, and likewise thou shalt make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second that the loops may take hold one of another. And thou shalt make 50 tatches or latches of gold and couple the curtains together with the tatches and it shall be one tabernacle. Thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. 11 curtains shalt thou make. The length of one curtain shall be 30 cubits and the breadth of one curtain four cubits and the eleven curtains shall be all of one measure. And thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves and shall double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. Thou shalt make fifty loops in the edge of one curtain that is outmost in the coupling and the fifty loops in the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. And thou shalt make fifty tatches of brass and put the tatches in the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. And the remnant that remaineth of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remaineth, shall hang over the back side of the tabernacle, and a cubit on the one side and a cubit on the other side of that which remaineth in the length of the curtain of the tents. It shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red, and a covering above of badger skins. We're going to stop our reading there tonight. But God gives such intricate details concerning uh, the tabernacle. And it's symbol, it's symbolic of Christ who come to dwell with us. This uh, you can break this chapter down into four different segments. Uh, the verses we just read is about the tent, the construction of the tent and the four coverings. 
in verses 15 through 30, we'll read about the frame of the tabernacle, how it's made and what it supports and those kind of things. In uh, verses 31 through 35, it was a tent with a very special inner curtain, an inner veil, the veil that was rent when Jesus died on the cross. Uh, it represents God's majesty and holiness and man's separation from God. And then verses 36 and 37, it was a tent with an outer curtain, a screen-like entrance symbolizing the door into God's presence. So we're going to look at these uh, four coverings of this tabernacle tonight. Uh, there's much that can be said about it, and I, I don't know that there uh, of everything that is to be said, but uh, I know a few things. It was a tent constructed with four coverings. The first covering of fine linen. We've talked about that the fine linen pictured uh, purity and holiness and righteousness. Uh, we'll talk about the designs of it and the size and all those kind of things. And it's interesting how uh, God just lays all this out there and tells Moses all this. And I don't know how fast Moses could write, but he must have had a magnificent memory uh, because he, he pinned all these things down and we have them today to, to help us to study God's Word and to know what we're reading about and those kind of things. But these four coverings, uh, they were to serve as the roof and the sides of the tabernacle. The first covering was made of ten linen curtains that served as the inside ceiling walls. Now, you're looking from the inside out when you're looking at these different curtains and he, he, he spells out which ones are which. The inner covering would be the one that the priest who ministered in this tabernacle that they would see most often. This was in the holy place, uh, in the most holy place. To see the striking beauty that they would behold when they went in there, it was one of their great privileges to be able to go into the holy place. And only in the most holy place was the high priest to go one time a year. And he had to take in a blood offering and there make an atonement for the sins of the people. But it was a trip into the presence of God every time that they went into this place. These uh, symbols of the curtains of linen, it symbolized purity and righteousness. So when a priest walked into the tabernacle, never lost sight of God's character. He, all, he could always see that white linen. It was all around him. And he could always be reminded of God's character. As he looked up and studied the curtains, he began to see some different colors. He would see the blue, which represented God's heavens. He could see the purple and the scarlet yarn. He 
he could see all this twisted and sewn together. And he knew that the colors meant blue represented the heavenly nature of God. Purple represented his kingly nature. And the scarlet, his humility in receiving the accepting man through the blood sacrifice. Now, <clears throat> this led the priests to be in a worshipful attitude. And as they worshiped God, the priest understood that his feeble acts of worship was inadequate, but at his, as he focused on God, God made them adequate. And it's the same with us today when we come to worship the Lord. Our, our worship is, is never really adequate. But when we come through Jesus Christ, then our worship becomes adequate. It's through Jesus that we are made acceptable in God's sight. As the priest would gaze about that holy place, he would see some other things. He'd see the light from the lampstand. It was always burning. It illuminated the beautiful linen and the ceiling and the table and the altar of incense and the lampstand itself. Everything in the sanctuary magnified God's glory and made even the most prideful man to take note of how small he was in the presence of pure and righteous God. Now let's talk about the, these curtains here. They're, they're unique. They're one of a kind. First of all, the design. They were to have cherubim embroidered into them. Must have took some fine needlework to do all of that. I don't know how many of the, I, I would assume probably the ladies might have done that. Would you assume that? They were probably doing the embroidery work. I know it wouldn't have been me. But, uh, but on each curtain, there was to be those cherubims embroidered there. A, bright, a background of blue, purple, and scarlet. And evidently they were just breathtaking. The size of each curtain. Now think about this. Now it's it spelled out in cubits in King James. And uh, best I can figure, a cubit is right close to 18 inches. A foot and a half. Uh, but uh, not exact, because a cubit was measured by the, from the elbow to the forefinger of the hand. And if I was doing it, it'd come up short, because I've got short arms. But uh, somebody else is doing it, it might come up long, because they'd have long arms. So it's, it's a general measurement, not, not exact. But the uh, the size is 42 feet long by 6 feet wide. Two groups of five curtains each were to be stitched together and make two sets of long curtains. If 
find that in verse 3 there. Each of those curtains had loops on the ends of them, 50 loops. The next curtain had 50 loops. And they were so close. Now, somebody that's good at it, a six foot tall curtain. That's 72 inches in our measurement. How much space do you leave for 50? Loops down through there. Are you a mathematician, Haley? Just a little bit of spot, isn't it? But those were woven. And then there was the gold latches that was placed through these 50 gold latches. What, what, what we said that gold represented? It represents divinity, doesn't it? And that must have been something beautiful to look at, to see all that gold and white and blue, uh, purple and crimson, all those colors. But the curtains were made of blue material and they were sewn along the edges. A total of 50 loops were to be sewn on each curtain. The curtains were fastened together by making 50 gold clasps that were inserted through the connecting loops. This made the tabernacle a single tent in verse 6. Now the tabernacle sets inside of a courtyard. If you've got that picture uh, that we've printed out, it's that little building setting up there kind of in one part of the courtyard. But what do these things symbolize when we see those? Well, Jesus Christ fulfilled the symbolism of these curtains. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of believers, just as the fine linen is a symbol of righteousness. Hear what the Bible says in Revelation 19.8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Romans 3.21-22 But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law of the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So the righteousness of Christ is represented there. Jesus Christ is righteous and pure without sin. 
three or four different places in the New Testament, it says something like this, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 1 John 3 says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we're seeing the righteousness of Christ. And we're seeing it as it applies to our life. Psalms 45, 7 says, Thou, speaking of the Lord, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So we're seeing the righteousness there. Jesus Christ is the righteous branch. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So, whenever you and I enter into the presence of God, we need to focus on two facts. The fact that God is pure and righteous. As we approach God, we need to have that utmost in our mind, that He is pure and righteous. According to Thy name, O God, so is the praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. In the days of Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby we shall be called. He shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Because God is righteous, he demands righteousness. Have you ever thought of that? God demands righteousness. That any person who approaches Him and worships Him must be have a righteous life. Matthew 5.20, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now, there's another covering. The fine linen is the first one, and looking from the inside of the tabernacle, that would be what you would see. But there's another covering that goes over there. You remember they were told to bring goat hair. This is woven into curtains and is made uh, as a, a covering. This covering symbolized the need for a sin offering and for cleansing. You find goats all through the Bible that they were used as a sin offering. Uh, we studied, I believe it was last week, where the, it took two goats to symbolize what God was doing that one of the goats that 
the priest would, the people would confess their sins. He would lay his hands on the head of one of the goats and slay it. And the other one, he'd run it off into the wilderness. And that pictured two things. The slain goat was the one that shed its blood to atone for the sins. The one that run off in the wilderness, it pictured our sins are gone. They've been taken away from us. So the goat is, is a, a symbolic thing concerning uh, the covering for our sins. This covering symbolized the need for the sin offering and for cleansing. I'm just reading this. It is significant that this outer curtain of goat hair was laid on top of the inner curtain. If the inner curtain is symbolic of purity and righteousness, then the place for the goat hair is most appropriate. It clearly pictures that a person's sins must be forgiven before he can approach the righteousness of God. The picture is this. As God gave Moses the pattern for the tabernacle, it's important to note the sequence from the inside out. The first covering of linen speaks of purity and righteousness. The second covering of goatskin speaks of the need for a sin offering and cleansing in order to approach the righteousness of God. In the verses that we read tonight, there's some facts that apply to this covering of goat hair. In verse 7, it tells us the number of curtains. There was 11. The ones made out of linen, there were only 10 of them. But here, the ones for goat hair is 11. The size of them is different. The size of each curtain was to be about 45 feet long and 6 feet wide. So they're about 3 feet longer. And I wondered about that. Why do you think they're of different dimensions? They're covering the same space. Any ideas? They're, they're about uh, three feet longer. And you make 11 of them. So that's 33 more feet, isn't it? I, I thought of this. If you had them the same length, then all those seams would line up together. And this is a covering. So the seam would be at a different place. But these are longer. That's just my thinking on it. I don't know. But... Uh, The size of each curtain was about 45 by 6 feet. Thank you to cover that. Five of the curtains were to be joined together in one set and six curtains into another. And the sixth curtain was to be folded double at the front of the tent. In other words, it, it made the door. The loops and clasps fastened the curtains together, making the curtains a single covering of the tent of tabernacle. Did you note that the, the, the uh, latches 
and the linen curtains were made out of pure gold. What are these latches made out of? Brass. What does brass symbolize? Judgment. So they had 50 of those bronze clasps fastened those curtains together. The extra half sheet of the first covering was to hang down at the rear of the tabernacle. And the goat hair curtain was to hang 18 inches over the sides of the tabernacle. So it, it covered whole tabernacle there. Now, concerning how this relates to Christ, the writer says, the Lord Jesus is the one who took the blackness of sin upon himself. He became the sin offering for the sins of his people. And he shares scripture with us concerning that in Isaiah 53 and 2 Corinthians 5.21. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Ephesians and Galatians says this, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. First Peter and Revelation, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now there's a third covering. This third covering of is ram skins. Taking the skins off of uh, rams that could either be a sheep or a goat. They clean the hair off of it and they're dyed red. What would you think that say represents? The blood. That's right. The ram skins represented the blood. It points to the sacrifice of Jesus and he has shed blood for sinners. For it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Acts 20, 28 says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. It's by the blood of Jesus that we are justified. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We sung about that blood tonight, didn't we? Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Not through us, through him. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ that our consciences are purged from dead works. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's by the blood of Jesus that we're cleansed from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. It's by the blood of Jesus that we're freed from the power of sin. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. But there's a fourth covering. Who can tell us what that fourth covering's made of? Leather. The badger skins, as it's called in one place, and it's actually the skins off of maybe a porpoise or some sea, sea creature. But uh, my book says here it's the covering of leather or seal skins. It's symbolic of something. And I'd never really thought of this until I was studying it this afternoon, that it's a symbol of the protective separation from the world. Now we're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. It was the covering that kept the tabernacle safe from the elements of the weather and the wilderness, the scorching sun, the torrential rains, the wind-blasted sand, the wild animals. And remember, they moved this wherever they went, moving it from just place to place. I'm sure it took a beating. And the covering protected the tabernacle from the outside, from the elements of the world. In simple terms, it kept the bad things out, and in parentheses says the world, and the good things in, the worship of God. What are some of the things we need protection from? Well, the believer needs protection from the pleasures of this world. Listen to what 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says. And oh, how we need to hear this today. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We need to hear that. We need protection from unclean things. Second Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We need protection from the course of the path of this world. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, in the children of disobedience. We need protection from the cares of the world. 
Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil therefore thereof. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. We need protection from evil associations. Not everybody that you associate with will be godly people. Now I've written unto you that you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Be not, equally un, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness? Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Christ fulfilled all of these things. He is the righteousness and the purity of God. He is the sin bearer. He took our sins. He has cleansed us through his blood. And he protects us from the things of this world. He sanctifies us and sets us apart for his use. And what a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. I'm so glad that he, he loves us so much that he gave himself for us. Let me pause here today. Maybe you have something that you'd like to say concerning the study of the tabernacle. Maybe God showed you something that you'd like to share with us. Or if you have a question, you can ask it. I'm not sure I can answer it, but you're free to ask. So, anyone? How long was the high priest in the Holy of Holies once a year? I know, was it Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist? He went into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and they was wondering why it took him so long. Because mm -hmm. God was talking to him about John. So if I went in, I wanted to stay there. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I have the, the whole answer to that, but he was only to go in one time a year. Uh, whatever time it took him to make that sacrifice, I don't know. But... Uh, but I, I agree with you, it would have been a good place just to stay. <laughs> but uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Bob. Anyone else? Well, I hope you're enjoying this study of uh, the tabernacle and well, the study, whole study of Exodus. It's all about redemption. It's about God redeeming his people. Sometimes we get caught up in all the little 
uh, nuances and all those kind of things, and we forget who it's really about and what, what God has done for us. And as gracious as God was to his people in those days, it's nothing to compare with what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's there for the taking. It's there for the taking. Well, thank you for being such a good listener tonight and for being with us. Do remember our services on this coming Lord's Day and do continue to pray for those who are sick and afflicted among us. But uh, I'm going to ask Brother Harold, if he will, to lead us in our benediction tonight. Brother Harold. Good night and God bless you.